Good morning. There we go. Well, welcome you to Airline. So glad that you are here today. Excited to be able to worship together. Um, got a few things going on. Do you want to encourage you? If you're, if you're visiting with us, first-time visitor, would love to connect with you. There's a connection card somewhere nearby. would love for you to fill that out um, and bring, bring it to me in the foyer on the way out. Uh, we've got a gift for you to thank you for being here today. Um, and then as, then as well for tithes and offerings, there is the drop box in the back. A um, couple things, of course, coming up, we have D-Now. So last weekend in March, we have our D-Now weekend. And hopefully you've seen these circulating around. Um, this is a little card that has a prayer emphasis, but then as well, it has a little QR code in the bottom. And if you're interested in volunteering for D-Now, you can just scan that QR code. It's going to take you to a sign-up um, website. And all you got to do is click on what you want to volunteer with. Um, now, Hear me out here, all of the host homes are taken, okay? So if you volunteer, we are not asking you to put teenagers in your house, okay? There's a wide variety of things that you can volunteer and help with between food, um, just various support roles. But then one of the things as well, and I, I love the, the direction that Taylor's taking this, is we're just asking for prayer volunteers that weekend too, that as the students are gathering for their sessions and their small groups, we just want people praying during that time. So you're praying for God to be at work and moving in the students' lives as they're actively gathering. And so you can sign up and do that on this and then continue to pray for each of those prayer emphases throughout the coming weeks as we head into D-Now. Then as well, you probably saw this as you got in, uh, this Annie Armstrong Easter offering. Mike's going to share a little bit more about this at the end of worship today. Um, and so I hope you got one of those, and Mike will share more in a little bit. But that's all of the announcements we have. Let's open up in a word of prayer and worship. Father God, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. God, we pray now for this time. Would you be honored and glorified? God, let this be all about you. It's not about us, but God, it's all about you. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and worship together. Good morning. Let us worship the Lord.
Great is your faith. 
more time, sing. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. Your faithfulness. And I'm still in your
Lord Jesus, great is our faithfulness. Your word, your truth, your faithfulness still stands today. Lord, even with so much darkness wanting to surround us, Lord, it's you still stand today. You, you still move today. Your light still shines today. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for the message that we're about to hear, Lord. Soften our heart for what you have for us. Whatever we walked in here with, Lord Jesus, we give it to you this morning. We say have your way. Have your way in this place. Have your way in our heart, Father. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And we give you all the glory, honor, and praise. Amen. so good to see you. I invite you to turn your Bibles to the book of Colossians. Colossians is where it will be as we continue on our Praying with Paul series. And uh, just to give you a heads up of where we are going, next week we'll be in Thessalonians, and that will be the end of our Praying with Paul series. And then after that, we are going to start a Holy Week series. And so what we're going to do is the following Sunday, we're going to look at Palm Sunday, which isn't actually Palm Sunday, but we're going to start there and kind of work our way through the Holy Week as we prepare for Easter. And uh, we've got some exciting things in the works. I mentioned last week kind of what we're looking at for Easter, and we're going to partner with the Y and have a community Easter egg hunt down at the Y. And I already saw a ton of eggs coming in, so I want to encourage you, uh, if you haven't yet, to uh, get some pre-filled eggs and uh, bring those by the church so we can, we're expecting a large turnout at that event, and so I encourage you to be there. We'll, it'll be from 11 to 1. We're going to have jump houses, all of that fun stuff, um, cook some hot dogs and, and give, give out some eggs to kids and watch them go chase eggs, but also have an opportunity that we're going to share the gospel and share the resurrection story with those that are there. So I encourage you to be there. Then, of course, Easter Sunday, we'll have sunrise service. Um, and so I am excited to experience my first sunrise service out here uh, overlooking the, the hill and looking at, the, looking at the scenery. So I'm looking forward to that. I encourage you to be there as well. Uh, and then, of course, Easter morning worship. I think there's a breakfast somewhere in there, um, and which I've been told is just as good as the sunrise service. So I encourage you to be at both. Um, and then, of course, morning worship. And so, Book of Colossians, I appreciate Quez leading us in the band, leading us in worship this morning. So as we come to Colossians, we've, we've kind of seen throughout that, that Paul is praying for these churches, and each of these churches has a specific need, that there's a context of each church. And when it comes to the church at Colossians, Paul has not been there in person he hasn't seen them. We're going to see in just a moment that he has heard of their faith, but he hasn't been there. And we'll get into a little bit of the origins of Colossae in just a moment. But the church of Colossians has some problems in it. 
And really not problems in the church, but kind of there's some false teaching that's kind of around the church, a wide variety of things. And one of the issues is popular teaching around the church is a kind of diminishment of Jesus. So trying to make Jesus a little bit lower, that he, he really wasn't all powerful, he, he really wasn't fully divine, that these different teachings trying to diminish Jesus. But then as well, there's, there's a rise in this area of just kind of Greek and Stoic philosophy. And while philosophy certainly has its place as we think about how we logically reason through things, never mistake, church, we should never elevate faulty man's theories and opinions on things over against the revelation of God. And so there's a problem. And if you've been on Wednesday nights, you've heard Mike talk about Gnosticism that was on the rise. And basically in Gnosticism that there is this secret knowledge that one can achieve through some means of private revelation. No one else has this knowledge. In church, be very careful if someone comes to you and says, I have knowledge that no one else has ever heard of. Because typically there is a reason that no one else has ever heard of it. So be cautious of that. But not only that, there's also on the rise what's known as syncretism around Colossae. That basically, instead of devoting oneself to one religion, instead of devoting themselves to one deity, they would just kind of take all of them, put them in the pot together, and see what came out. Make no mistake, church, Jesus' worship is undivided. You and I cannot worship Jesus and worship something else at the same time. He demands our whole worship, but not only does he demand our whole worship, he is worthy of every ounce of worship you and I can give him. And so we see the church of Colossae has got some problems from the outside. So what is Paul doing in the book of Colossians? He is exalting the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus. He wants the church of Colossae to see that Jesus is supreme above all else. He's divine. He is holy. He's not one of many gods that one can worship, but he is supreme above all else. But not only that, Jesus is sufficient for you and I. That no matter what the need is in our lives, Jesus is sufficient to meet that need. And so the question I want us to wrestle with this morning is, do we know that Jesus? Do we know the Jesus that is supreme and sufficient? Do we know the Jesus that is exalted above all others? Or do we have a Jesus that's in our own image? in our own likeness? Do we have a Jesus that is sufficient to meet all of our needs? Or do we have a Jesus that can sometimes meet needs if it's within his wheelhouse? And that there may be other things in life that Jesus can't quite meet that need, so I've got to go somewhere else. Do we know that Jesus? 
And so Colossians chapter 1, we're going to read through this text and then we'll notice a few things. Starting in verse 3, Paul says this, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. It is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it, understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our brother, or our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might and for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you during this time. And God, we pray that you would speak that you would move, and that, God, we would leave this place today with a bigger view of Jesus than we came in here with. We love you. We praise you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. So similar to last week, we kind of see two movements in this text. There's kind of some introductory stuff, and then Paul moves into the prayer. But the introductory stuff is just as valuable for us to look at. And so the first movement, we see Paul's praise in verses 3 through 8. So Paul's praise. And so going back to verse 3, he says, We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. So again, we see this idea of Paul's thankfulness for the church. And so since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, so what is Paul thankful for? That he's heard of their faith. Again, Paul has not been there in person. He doesn't know them. He doesn't have that face-to-face connection, but he's heard the reports. He's heard the reports of their faith in Christ Jesus, but not only their Faith, notice this next part, and of the love that you have for all the saints. So he's heard of their faith in Christ, but also he has heard the reports of their love for all the saints. These are two of the defining characteristics of the church of Colossae. I just wonder... What would be the report Paul would get of Airline Baptist Church? If word made way to the Apostle Paul, if he were alive today, what would be the report? What would be the message that Paul is hearing? Would he receive a report of our faith 
and our love. Our faith that we believe Jesus to be who Jesus is. And our love that the defining characteristic of our interaction with one another is that we genuinely love one another. Would that be the report? Because this is what Paul's heard of Colossae, that they have faith and that they love him, but notice what it's all rooted in. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. That this hope does not come from an earthly kingdom. This hope does not come from our ability to reason and rationalize through things. But our hope comes from a land beyond here. That our hope is not laid up here. Our hope is not laid up in what I can achieve this side of eternity. That's not my hope today. And that's not your hope either. But our hope is laid up in heaven. And this is what produces faith. This is what produces love. That my hope is not here, but my hope is laid up in heaven. And so Paul offers praise to God for the church that he's heard of their faith and their love, and it's all wrapped up in their hope, their great expectation that's laid up for them in heaven. But not only that, Paul continues and says, Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. Paul praises because they've heard the gospel. We've spent some time talking about the gospel the past few Sundays. So he praises God that they've heard the gospel. But notice how he describes it, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. It is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it, understood the grace of God in truth. He describes it as increasing and bearing fruit. How does the gospel increase and bear fruit? Because it is alive and well today. The gospel message does not need to be adjusted or amended. The gospel is plenty powerful enough to reach you and I wherever we may be. This message of what Christ has accomplished on our behalf is powerful today. But you see, we oftentimes get in the way of that, do we not? Instead of going into my home or my workplace or my hobby, whatever the case may be, going in, going, I have a powerful gospel that is able to save. What do I do? I try to tweak things to make it more palatable. Instead of going, this gospel is powerful, it's alive and it's well, and it's going to increase and bear fruit. So Paul describes the gospel, that it's growing and it's bearing fruit. And so Paul praises God for that. But not only that, so he praises God for their faith and their love and the gospel being at work in their lives. But he also praises God for the one who shared the gospel with them. 
Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Now we see Epaphras mentioned here and in the book of Philemon. Only two times we, we see him mentioned. We don't know a lot about him. Most, most commentators say that Epaphras probably heard Paul preach when Paul was preaching in Ephesus. Colossians was about 100 miles or so from Ephesus, and Ephesus was a major trade route, and so people were coming in and out of Ephesus all the time. And so Epaphras probably heard Paul preach while he was in Ephesus, came to faith, and then goes back to Colossians and starts the Colossian church. He goes back preaching the gospel. And I love what one commentator said about this. That the example of Epaphras taking the gospel, going back to his home in Colossae, demonstrates that God does not need nor require an apostle or a professional minister to take the gospel somewhere. That you and I are capable of taking the gospel just as Epaphras takes the gospel back to Colossae and begins to preach and the church is birthed and it begins to grow and to go, didn't require Paul to be there and to be present. Didn't require one of the disciples to be there and to be present. In churches, you and I go today, the same power of the gospel that Epaphras took back to Colossae, we have the same power today, that you and I are just as capable as Epaphras taking the gospel back to Colossae of taking the gospel to our home and to our work and to our hobbies. Doesn't require a professional minister to share the gospel, but simply a willing heart leaning in on the power of the gospel. So Paul offers thanksgiving for this. He thanks God for this. And so he praises God for all of this, these things. But then we come to verses 9 through 14. So we've seen Paul's praise, but now we see Paul's petitions. So he says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. This isn't a one-time thing. That Paul is regularly and continually bending his knee before the Father to lift up the church of Colossae. So we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We see this term knowledge repeatedly throughout this text. But notice what he says, be filled with the knowledge of his will. We struggle with the will of God, do we not? What's God's will for my life? And the reason we struggle with this is because we, we struggle with the issues of categories. And as we read through the Bible, there's a couple different types of wills of God. There's his descriptive will. And his decretive will or his secret will. If we struggle with his secret will, what does God have for my life if I'm single? Who am I supposed to marry? What type of career am I supposed to go into? We struggle with that. And can I, can I just e ease your mind a little bit? 
that's not for you to be concerned with. God's secret will is none of your business. It's solely God's business. But he does give us his descriptive will. That God's descriptive will is evident all throughout the scripture. Couple examples, I wanna tell you what God's will for your life is this morning. First Thessalonians 4, 3 says this, for this is the will of God. You ready for this? This is the will of God for your life, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That's the will of God for your life, that you would be sanctified, that you would grow in Christ. You want, to tell me, you want me to tell you again what the will of God is? 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says this, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Ooh. That's hard, isn't it? What's the will of God for my life? And God's sitting there going, I want you to be thankful. That's my will for your life, that you would give thanks in all circumstances. What's the perfect will of God for my life? That I would, be a, I would live a life that's just thankful in all circumstances. But not only that, 1 Peter 2.15 says this, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Notice, it's not the will of God to put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. We may think that's the will of God for our lives. But what is the will of God for our lives? That by doing good, we do that. It's really hard to argue with someone that just loves people and serves people. What, what do you mean this Jesus guy you're talking about? Can, can, I, can I wash your feet for you? You really believe in following this Jesus? Can I, can I open the door for you? You really believe in this whole God creator thing? Can I cook a meal for you? Like that's hard to argue with, is it not? So Paul says that by, or not Paul, Peter says that by doing good, you'll put to silence foolish people. That's the will of God for your life. So what's the will of God for your life? No matter where you are, no matter what circumstance you may be in, that you would be sanctified, you would be thankful, and you would do good. How simple is that? Because here's the reality. If I handled those descriptive things of the will of God, the prescriptive or the secret will will take care of itself. I don't have to worry about that. If you're, if you're a single guy or a single girl in this room this morning, you're sitting there going, who am I supposed to marry? What's my future supposed to look like? You don't know those things. But what you do know is the descriptive will of God for your life. And if you do those things, God's secret will will take care of itself. No matter what the case is, you may be sitting here and you're married and you're going, I don't know what career I'm supposed to be in. I'm in between jobs. I'm trying to find the will of God for my life. You just handle what you can handle and let God handle what only he can handle. You'll save yourself a lot of headache and heartache by simply going, God, I know this is your will for my life. I'm just going to walk in this until you reveal what you have next for me. 
So he says that he prays for them that they would have this knowledge of the will of God in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then he continues, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And so what is our knowledge and understanding of God to do? It should translate to real life. They should translate to the way I live, the way I walk, the way I interact, the way I talk. It should translate to that. So he says, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. What does worthy mean? It doesn't mean that we're earning worth. It means suitable. So based on who I know God to be, that there is a manner of life that I'm called to walk in that matches up with who God is. That's what it means to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. I'm not earning worth from the Lord by being sanctified and by growing in him. I'm not earning anything, but I'm simply walking in a way that's suitable, fully pleasing to him. But not only that, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That as I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, what am I doing? I'm bearing fruit, but also increasing in the knowledge of God. And this knowledge of God is not mere intellectual facts. It's not merely knowing a set of scriptures or knowing some things, but rather it's experiential knowledge of God. That I've gotten close to him. That I've drawn near to him. That he's not an object that I've analyzed from afar. And sat there and go, okay, here's the attributes of God. But I've experienced the attributes of God. I've drawn near to God. That this is the type of knowledge that Paul's speaking of. It's not ascending to a particular level of facts, but drawing near to him, increasing in the knowledge of God. And he says, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. A couple weeks ago, we looked at Ephesians, and this is what Paul prayed about. This is the entire thing that Paul was praying about, that they would be strengthened, that they would understand the might and the power that they have access to. How oftentimes, how many times do we miss it? That we have, we can tap into this, and not just tap into it, but we can live there. It's not something, it's not like a gas station where I got to go and fill up. But I can live there and not be disconnected from that. So that they would be strengthened with power. In this next phrase, for all endurance. Church, the Christian life is a marathon, not a sprint. No one gets awarded a prize at halftime unless you're running a half marathon. I'm not a racer. I'm not a runner. If you see me running, you better start running too. That's the only race I've never been able to understand was a half marathon. Just go ahead and do the whole thing. 
I'm just kidding. If, you're, if you've ran a half marathon, I'm not trying to insult you this morning. But the Christian life is about finishing the race. And you and I are not capable of finishing the race in our own power, in our own wisdom, in our own intellect. We can't finish the race. We have to be plugged in to where true power comes from. But so with for all endurance, and then this little phrase, God hit me with like a two by four right between the eyes this week, and patience with joy. Let's just be honest. That's hard. Like we, we get patience, do we not? But Paul takes it a step further. Not only that they would have patience, but patience with joy. That patience in the Christian life is not me just white knuckle grip and enduring it until it's over. But there's joy in the midst of it. And you and y'all you, and know, if if you if you're new here where my wife and I, we're, we're still going back and forth to Florida until we get all of our adoption stuff done. I'll just be honest, it's a headache. I've gotten well acquainted with I-85 the past six weeks. I can tell you what gas stations to stop at and which ones not to stop at. I've been at all of them. I'm just kidding. A little bit of over-exaggeration. But just, just to be transparent with this morning, church, there's some Sundays I get in the car and head back to Florida. I'm sitting there going, God, God what are you doing? God, what's, what's going on? It's in that moment. I'm reminded that his purposes are bigger than anything I could understand. And I, sorry, I opened up the text this week to start to prepare. And I, I came across that little phrase, patience with joy. And I'm sitting there going, God, I haven't been joyful about this. God, I haven't sought you in the midst of this. And that should be a defining characteristic of the Christian life. This is what Paul's praying for. That not only would they have patience just to get through it, but that there would be joy in the midst of it. Because just as, as Paul, sitting there in the prison in Ephesus or Philippi, he could have gritted his teeth and said, I'm going to endure this prison sentence until we get out. But what, what does he and Silas do? They go into a prayer time. They go to singing praise to God. And what happens? The walls fall down. That there's something about joy in the midst of endurance. There's something about joy in the midst of patience. That we learn something about God. That we learn when we're going through that season of life that we are not alone. And that when we realize we are not 
alone. We realize we have more than we need. And that Jesus is enough. I love the song that they, they, they just led in. That, that first line, I don't remember exactly how it goes, but I was sure by now these walls would fall. Have you been there before? Maybe you're there this morning. That there's some stuff you're going through, there's some stuff you're praying about, and you're sitting there going, I was sure that by now this would have happened. I'm there with you. But it's in that moment we see the faithfulness of God. And that we're reminded of those previous seasons in our lives where we were convinced of the same thing. And what did God do? God showed up. Patience with joy. What if we said, instead of being white knuckle grip, going through whatever we're going through, we said, God, I'm going to use this as an opportunity to get to know you more. To learn and to see that you are all that I need. You are sufficient for me. Patience with joy. Then he continues and says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So not only does he pray that they would understand that they have access to all the power that they need for all endurance and patience with joy, but that we would celebrate and give thanks to God. Why? Because he's qualified us. Even in the midst of all of our sin and our shame and our baggage and all the things that we brought into the relationship with Christ, he's the one that qualifies us. He's the one that does that. And so that what do we do? We share in the inheritance with the rest of the saints. That no matter what your background story is, you and I share in the same inheritance with Paul and with Peter and with all the great heroes of the faith. We share in that inheritance. That should be something we express our gratitude for. And then he, can, he continues and says, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness. When we think about what Christ has done and the results of knowing him, do you remember where you were when Christ plucked you out of darkness? Do you remember life before you came to know him? Whether you had never darkened the doors of a church or you were born into a church, I was going to say conceived, but that may be weird. The church is all you had ever known. No matter where you were, there was still a time when God stuck his hand into the darkness of your life and plucked you out of that. 
whether it was living a life full of rebellion that God came and plucked you out of, or it was a life full of rebellion plus Sunday school that God plucked you out of. He still plucked you out of the domain of darkness. But not only that, not only did he pluck you out of the domain of darkness and just kind of put you in a neutral position, what did he do? And transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. That he not only plucked us out of darkness, plucked us out of our sin, plucked us out of our shame and stuck his hand and grabbed us out of all of that. He said, he not only said that, he said, I'm going to take you, I'm going to pluck you out, I'm going to put you into my kingdom. That's the gospel. That's what our knowledge of God helps us understand. He goes, I'm going to take you. Even though you were full of rebellion and in the domain of darkness, I'm going to take you out. I'm going to place you in my kingdom. That's what God has accomplished. And he ends with this simple phrase, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In whom we have redemption, that we have been bought and we have been purchased in Christ. So as we think about all this and what Paul is trying to do and what he's trying to say to the church of Colossians, he's battling this idea of Gnosticism and a diminished Jesus and elevating human philosophy and syncretism running rampant all around. He's battling with this. And he wants them to understand true knowledge. True knowledge of God. And that true knowledge of God is going to lead to some practical application in your life. You're going to walk in a manner worthy. You're going to lean into his strength. You're going to do all of these things. Why? Because you know who God is. And not only do you know who God is with some intellectual facts, but you know who he is through some experience with him from drawing near to him. So this brings us to our central idea this morning. And it's this. We pray for knowledge of God, not to build our intellect of him, but to build our intimacy with him. We pray for knowledge of God, not to build our intellect of him, but to build our intimacy with him. That God, would you give me knowledge of yourself? God, would you give knowledge of you to this church? Why, so we can win Bible drill? No, so that we would be close to you so that we would draw near to you. And we get this as the band comes back to the stage. I wanna, I wanna be clear. We, we, we get this in our normal everyday relationships. That intimacy is not devoid of intellect by no means. I mean, just take for example, say, I, I, going on a month ago now, which is crazy, 
we had Valentine's Day. And say you came up to me and you said, Zach, what, what did you do for Whitney for Valentine's Day? And I said, man, I knocked it out of the park this year, like I always do. Always. Best present giver ever. You said, well, what'd you get her? Well, I, um, I went that night and I, just, I made her dinner and uh, just made some really massive one-pound hamburgers for both of us. And I gave her a special surprise. I went and found the prettiest kitten that you've ever seen, and I gave her that kitten as a Valentine's Day present. And not only that, I sat down that night and I wrote the most beautiful poem about how much I love her brown eyes. You may be sitting there and go, that sounds like a fantastic Valentine's Day. The reality is you, you don't know Whitney. Because Whitney doesn't like ground beef. So me making one pound hamburgers would not go over well. Whitney's deathly allergic to cats. So me bringing home a cat would not work. And also Whitney doesn't have brown eyes. So if she got a poem about how much I loved her brown eyes, she'd be like, who's this other woman? And so we understand that there has to be some level of intellect. We have to have some knowledge in order to grow close, in order to be intimate. But it, all, it has to move past mere intellectual knowledge. Because the reverse would be, I knew all these facts about Whitney, but never did anything. Never knew what she liked and what she didn't like. And simply let it be. In the same way with God, church, it's easy. It's easy to compile a list of facts and stats and concepts about God but never draw near to him. And it's dangerous. You see, you and I, we could devote our entire lives to studying the scripture and devote our entire lives to learning Greek and Hebrew and ancient Near Eastern backgrounds and critical issues for each book of the Bible. We can devote our entire lives and yet still not be able to go, God, would you help me know you today? And we can devote our entire lives and we could spend the next 40 years together looking at systematic theology book after systematic theology book and be able to parse the difficult theological concepts and, and make our way through ontological arguments for God's existence and be able to discuss complex issues like whether or not God's foreknowledge is infralapsarian or supralapsarian, whatever the case may be. And never go, God, let me draw near to you. God, let me draw close to you. See, my knowledge of God can't be mere intellectual facts. But at some point or another, it has to be experiential. 
that I take those facts, those truths that I know about God, and I draw near. Take what I know about Christ, that I know that he is sufficient, he is supreme, that he's above all else. And I could sit there and I could talk about the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ and observe it from a distance. Or I can go, Christ is supreme and sufficient. I want to know more about that in my life. God is all-powerful, and there's power that I can be supplied with to live this Christian life. God, I want to draw near to you. We can go down the list, but eventually I have to go, God, I just want to draw near to you. God, I just want to be close to you. It's not about intellectual facts. It's about intimacy with him. Informed, but intimate. This is what Paul's praying for, for the church of Colossae, that they would know God. Not things about him, but they would know him. So church, do we know him today? I'm not talking about how many times you've been through life group, how many times you've been through Sunday school. But do you know him from drawing near to him? And you may be sitting here today and you're sitting there going, I believe in Christ, but today's the day I just need to draw near to him. I know all the facts about it, but I just need to draw near to him. Would you draw near to him today? Where you may be sitting here and you're not a believer. You haven't trusted Christ. What better day than today to go, okay, today's the day I come to know him. And you come and you say, God, I just want to know you. God, I believe the gospel. I believe that I'm sinful and fallen. But the work of Christ on the cross is sufficient to save me and to pay my debt. I believe that today. So as we close, Clint's going to be over here, Mike's going to be over here, and I'll be available as well. If you need to pray, come pray. But I just encourage you to draw near to him. To draw near to him. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you. And God, we pray just as we've studied your word, God, help us to be a people that it's more than information and intellect, but God, it's experiential. That God, we would draw near to you. And that, God, we would take the concepts that we know and draw near and come to know you more. We love you. We praise you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and respond today.
tribulation may come, you've never found me yet. Oh, oh. I've seen you move, you move the mountains. just believe that there's some folks in here today who could say I've seen him move those mountains in my life. Amen? Amen. Would you just say amen if you believe that? Amen. God can move those mountains. Thank you. Thank you, Quez. Thank you, Pastor. A good message this morning. Thank you so very much. Thank you for being here today. We're, we appreciate it. If you're visiting with us, as Pastor said, please fill out one of those connect cards. Take a moment and see him on your way out and just get to get to know him or if you'll hang around in here a little bit i'll guarantee you somebody in here will love on you okay i believe paul might say this is a loving church we love on folks we love people so uh glad you're here please just uh hang around and meet one or two before you before you leave this morning let me tell you before we leave this is the week of prayer for a home mission this week and if you picked up one of these, then you've got, you've got all the information in there. But there's a missionary spotlighted every day, beginning today, for you to pray for this week. And let me encourage you to do that, okay? Prayer changes things. Prayer makes things happen. Amen. So let's, uh, let's be in prayer for these folks as they minister around our country day one uh it's on it's on facebook also i'm gonna send out a, a facebook page every day for you to check just as a reminder with a few highlights for you to pray for uh regarding that that person so do that this week and also our uh, annie armstrong easter offering <laughs> i get annie and lottie mixed up a lot that's a, but this is annie 
for home missions. Our goal this year is $3,000. And if you would, if you'll just, there's envelopes you can fill out, or you can go online and I'll have the drop down loaded tomorrow where you can just drop it down and put that in there. But let's, let's go ahead and meet that goal, get that out of the way. Easter's coming. We got a lot of things to do. Looking so forward to that. Easter's a special time around airline and hope you, you're planning now to be here for that, that special day. And again, thank you for being here today. I pray you have a wonderful week. Let me pray real quickly for you and we'll be dismissed. All right. All right, Father, thank you so much for being such a good, good heavenly Father. Thank you for loving us the way that you do. And God, I pray that you'd help us as we walk day to day, that we'd be faithful to you, that we'd bring you honor and glory in everything we do, and that we'd point people to Jesus Christ as we come in contact with them every day. God, thank you again for this day. Now, you have your will and your way with everything and in, in everyone in this place today and everything that happens. We give you all the glory and the praise in Jesus' name and all of his church family said, Amen. Amen. Love y'all. Amen.